Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. I mean, if you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn in them to Mark chapter 12? Mark chapter 12. Uh, my voice does sounds a little bit rough this morning. I want to assure you, I don't, I don't really feel that bad. It's just my voice. And so you pray for my voice. Well, you, uh, I'm a little bit worried, scared to tell you to pray for my voice because that means some of you are going to pray that it gives out, right? <laughs> uh, so if that's what the Lord leads you to pray, you go ahead and pray that. Uh, he knows where and when it needs to give out, amen? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12. Uh, during the last several times during the last couple of weeks, in fact, I have made reference to the Great Commission, and I have said to you that, that the Great Commission is the basis of, of what God has called us to do as a New Testament church, that is to go into all the world, to all the nations, and make disciples of all types of people. And so uh, a couple of times we've made reference to the Great Commission because that's what we, as a New Testament church, that's what we are supposed to be doing, amen, is making disciples. Well, today I thought that it would serve us well if uh, I mentioned the Great Commandment, the great commandment, which is, <clears throat> which is the heart of why we do what we do. It is our, it is our motivation, and it's found in Mark chapter 12. Well, it's actually found in some form. It is found in all of the Gospels, uh, but we're going to read it from Mark chapter 12 this morning. The great commission is the work that we're called to do. The great commandment is our motivation for doing that work. So I thought that that would be an especially good thing to talk about this morning, a good follow-up on the past several messages that I've been preaching because, well, um, uh, today, uh, this week, later this week, what is it, Thursday? Guys, you better get that in your, is it Thursday? Thursday is Valentine's Day, right? So guys, I just threw that out there for you, all right? That's a free reminder for you. Thursday is Valentine's Day. And listen, and more than any other description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, how many knows love is the most important? Love is the most important. In fact, remember, Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, hey, it doesn't matter if you can sing with the voices of angels, voice of angels. It uh, doesn't matter if you can speak in tongues, doesn't matter if you can prophesy, you know, all of these things that we put great stock in, and rightfully so, because they're important, they're necessary, right? But Paul says it doesn't matter how well you do all of that other stuff, if you don't have love, then Paul says what? What is it worth? Nothing. It's worth nothing. So more than any other description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, love is the most important. And love is the reason why we should be willing to do what Jesus has told us to do, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Why should we be willing to do that? Well, it's because of love. In fact, and this is not where we're not going to read this this morning, but in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will do 
what I have told you to do. And so love is our motivation for doing what Jesus Christ has told us to do. And what are his commandments? What are the commandments of Jesus Christ? Is, um, is Jesus referring to the Ten Commandments? Well, the answer to that question is, <clears throat> is actually yes and no. Or maybe more precisely, at least yes, sort of, uh, but no, not exactly. In fact, on one occasion when Jesus is given the opportunity to explain uh, or to state what he considered to be the, the greatest commandment, what, which one is the greatest commandment? Jesus responded without referring to any of the Ten Commandments. So when he was approached and said, which, one, which commandment do you think is the greatest commandment? We're going to read about it in just a second. Um, Jesus responded by not, he didn't refer to any of the Ten Commandments, um, which is what we assume the person was expecting when he asked Jesus that, that he was going to pick one of the Ten Commandments. Um, but instead, Jesus responds by reciting the Shema, which is actually a prayer that is at, the, is at the centerpiece. It is the centerpiece of Jewish worship. So let's look at it in Mark chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse number 28. And one of the scribes came up, and he heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well. That's Jesus, that he answered their questions well. He asked of him, which commandment, <clears throat> which commandment is the most important of all? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly, you, stop for just a moment because I think that's funny. Can you imagine presuming to tell Jesus, oh, good deal, you're right, Jesus. <laughs> um, so the scribe said, you're right, teacher. Uh, you have truly said <clears throat> that he is one and that there is no other besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one neighbor's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. In verse 34, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to you, to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> God, we're asking this morning that you'd speak to us from your words. That God, you would anoint me, Lord, to preach effectively this morning. God, I want to communicate to, to this church, to your people, to us, God, what it is that you desire to say, what you want us to hear. So open up our ears, God, that we can hear. Open up our hearts, Lord, that we can receive. Help us, God, to make room in our hearts for the word that you have for us. And that, God, we will submit ourselves to your will so that, Lord, you can do in us, do through us, all that you desire to do, we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone who is in agreement with me this morning, would you say amen? Amen. amen. <clears throat> now, when you look at the context of this passage in, in Mark chapter 12, what you'll notice, you'll discover that it's actually situated, it's located in, in a sequence 
of confrontations that Jesus has with, with various religious leaders. Uh, the chief priests, by this point in his ministry, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders are trying to get rid of Jesus. Uh, they, they perceive that he's a threat, and so they're trying to get rid of Jesus, and they're trying in these, in these confrontations, the, what they're trying to do is they're trying to trick Jesus. And they're trying to turn his words against him. That They're wanting to get him in a situation where he answers a question unwisely and he incriminates himself so that then they can bring charges of blasphemy uh, up against him. And so they're trying to trick him. And so they, they <clears throat> approach Jesus repeatedly in this passage, in this chapter. And what they're trying to do is they ask him questions because they're trying to trap him in his own words. And trap him in a, in a tangle of, of logic and, and reason. So the, the Pharisees and the Herodians try first, and they fail. <clears throat> they bring to him a question about paying taxes to Caesar. Do you remember? They say, should we pay taxes or not? And remember Jesus' um, marvelous answer, his brilliant answer. He says, bring me a denarius. And he says, whose inscription is that? And they say, Caesar. He says, so render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but unto God what is God's, Right? And so they went away, snapped their fingers, and walked away because they'd failed uh, to trap him. Next up um, were the Sadducees. The Sadducees came against him, and, and they followed up with a question about the resurrection. And so they, they took Jesus through this uh, wide-ranging hypothetical situation, and they said, you know, this man married this woman, and then he died, and then his brother married, and then that happened, and seven brothers said, so whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus answers their question, says, don't you know the angels neither marry nor are given in marriage, and so there's no marriage in heaven, and so they fail with their question about the resurrection. And then finally a scribe comes up. That's where we're that's the passage that we read this morning. A scribe comes to play his hand with a question about the commandments. Which commandment is the greatest? Which of the commandments? And we presume that the scribe thinks that if he can get Jesus to choose one of the commandments and say, well, this is the greatest commandment, that if, he can, if they can get him to choose one commandment, above the other commandments, then they can accuse Jesus of devaluing the other commandments and then charge him of impugning the law. And so they're, they're trying to track, trap Jesus in his own words. Well, <clears throat> Jesus brilliantly, of course, avoids that controversy altogether by not referring to any of the Ten Commandments. So he doesn't, he doesn't even play their game. He doesn't reference the Ten Commandments at all. Uh, rather, he chooses the one article of their faith about which there could be no debate and no disagreement. The Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, they, the irony is they all disagreed with one another about different things, in particular like the resurrection. Pharisees believed in the resurrection Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. So there was no agreement among themselves about many of the things they were trying to trick Jesus uh, on. But one thing that all of them agreed on, one, of thing that, one thing that they, none of them would disagree about is what Jesus says because he recites 
the Shema, which is, as I said, it's the centerpiece of their worship. It's, it's the main article of their faith and their doctrine. It's, it is repeated every time in the, in the synagogue. It's repeated every morning and every evening in, in their personal prayers to God. They all repeat the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This, Jesus says, is the greatest commandment. This is the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then Jesus adds a second one uh, to it. He says the second one is like unto it. In another gospel it uses those words. The second one is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus has reduced the ten commandments into two commandments, the greatest commandments. Not really, maybe I shouldn't say reduced because it's, they're not less important. Um, so not really reduced, but he has, he has summed up the 10 commandments in two commandments. These two commandments capture the true essence of the 10 commandments. The, they, they capture the heart, if you will, of the entire Torah, the entire law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It summarizes all ten commandments. In fact, the first four commandments of the ten commandments are actually about how we demonstrate, how God desires that we show our love for him. Uh, those first four commandments are, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. If you love God with all of your heart, you put no other gods before him. Uh, number two, you shall make unto yourself no graven image. If you love God, you won't erect an image to God. Or you won't erect a, an idol before God. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then number five, you shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Those first four commandments are essentially about us demonstrating our love uh, for God. How do we demonstrate our love for God? Those first four commandments tell us God's expectations concerning that. And then the final six commandments are actually how we demonstrate <clears throat> and how we live out our love for others, our love for our fellow man, honor your father and your mother. Um, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Those six commandments, some are, I mean, uh, tell us how we can, how we demonstrate our love for our fellow man, our love for our neighbor. So Jesus summarizes the entirety of the law with just two commandments. Love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that wonderful? Uh, he summarizes the entire law. Now listen, these were not new concepts uh, to the Jews. 
As I said, the first was the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, which is what we sometimes refer to as the golden rule, it was actually articulated in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 8. Love your neighbor as yourself. So these are not... Uh, these are not new concepts. However, Jesus uses both of these to illustrate that the heart of God's commandments, at the heart of it all, is love. Love for God and love for our neighbors. Love for others. In fact, Jesus would then go on to condense these two commandments even further. In fact, in, in John chapter 15, verse 12, he would say, this is my commandment. One, singular. This is my commandment. He would say that you love one another as I have loved you. What is Jesus' commandment? It's just, it's just one thing, Jesus said. Love your neighbor. Love one another as I have loved you. Remember, Jesus had already said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the reason that Jesus can reduce the number of commandments to just one commandment is because we assume that the only reason anybody would care about what his commandment is, is that they, is that they love Jesus. The person who says, Lord, I love you, and so I want to keep your commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and so the question then is, okay, Lord, I love you, so what is your commandment? So um, if we stipulate our love for Jesus Christ, how many of you here this morning, you love Jesus Christ? Say amen. amen. Let's do it one more time. Do it stronger than that so they can hear it on the recording, all right? How many here love Jesus Christ? Say amen. amen. All right. So let's stipulate. We love Jesus Christ, amen. So if we love Jesus Christ, then the only question that remains is, what is his command? What is his, and Jesus said there's one command, love one another. Love one another as I have loved uh, you. This is the greatest commandment, the commandment of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you remember the scene in the gospel? It's also in the gospel of John, <clears throat> the last scene in the gospel of John um, that scene in which Jesus is after his resurrection, he's having breakfast with the disciples on the seashore, and during that, during that breakfast, he is actually restoring and he is reaffirming Peter, who has denied him. Remember, Peter denied him three times. And so Jesus is actually restoring Peter, and he is reaffirming uh, Peter's call to be his disciple. So do you remember that three times Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter would say what? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, and so what would Jesus say? Every time Jesus said, so what? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter would say, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus would say, then feed my sheep, care for my sheep, love my, my sheep. You see, Jesus is explaining to Peter that we demonstrate, listen, we demonstrate our love for him by showing love to one another. That's how we demonstrate our love for Jesus Christ, 
is that we learn to love one another. Now, that's something that Jesus taught his disciples repeatedly, and, and it's something that he taught them explicitly. Uh, you remember, in fact, you might remember Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable, and he says, you know, whoever, and I'm going to summarize it, cut to the chase of it this morning, and he says, you know, when, when you feed the hungry, when you visit the prisoner, when you, when you clothe uh, the naked, when you do it to the least of these, Jesus said, you have done it unto me. How do we show our love for Jesus Christ when we love other people? We show his love to other people. In fact, John chapter 13, Jesus taught it explicitly. He says to his disciples in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments with two. And then he summed up those two commandments with just one commandment, the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love others the way that I have loved you. So listen, we demonstrate how wholeheartedly we love God by how unselfishly we love others. There's no secret to it. Um, that's it right there. We demonstrate how wholeheartedly we love God by how unselfishly we love other people. In fact, this is how John would put it later in his epistle, the le a letter that he wrote to the church. This is 1 John. I think this is uh, on the screen, Jared, if you want to uh, pop it up there for us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, John would write, and he says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. <clears throat> For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have found from him, <clears throat> whoever loves God must also love his brother. Doesn't get more simple than that, does it? Doesn't get much plainer than that. So we've talked about being a New Testament church, about the necessity, the importance, the urgency of obeying the Great Commission. And, and I intend to do it, don't you? I want to be his witness I want to make disciples for Jesus Christ. What is our motivation to do that? Our motivation is the great, is the great commandment. Our love for Jesus Christ compels us to love others in the same way that he has loved us. It compels us to show the love of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that, what does that mean and, and how... Do we do that for others? Well, let me suggest four ways that we can demonstrate the love of Christ in our love for others, okay? Number one, <clears throat> number one, we should be able to see their need. 
We, we need to learn to see people the way that Jesus saw people. Amen. How did Jesus see people? Well, he was, he was sympathetic to people. Now, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean that he was sympathetic to their sin. In fact, he was, he was called a friend of sinners, wasn't he? It, that was not because he engaged in their sin. It was not because he condoned their sin. It was because he was sympathetic to them. In fact, repeatedly in the Gospels, it says that Jesus saw the multitudes. And how did he see them? He saw them as harassed and helpless. He saw them as, a, as sheep without a shepherd. Sheep that had been scattered um, by the enemy. Now listen, it's easy for us to look around in the world today and we can see a lot of things that are wrong with the world. Amen. There's a lot of things in the world that are wrong. But listen, we need to see individual people with the same eyes that Jesus Christ sees them and recognize that they are sheep without a shepherd. That they're that they're uh, that they are hopeless, that they are scattered, and that they need. That's why Jesus said he had come. I've come to save the sick. He had come to seek and to save those that were lost. They were harassed and they were helpless. And so we need to learn to see people in their need and be sympathetic to people and recognize that before Jesus saved us, how many knows that some of us were right there where they're at right now, still lost and in sin? And so we need to demonstrate our love for God by learning to love others. And it begins by seeing people the way Jesus saw people, not as enemies, um, not as people on the other side of uh, the aisle, so to speak. I'm not talking about this aisle, all right? <laughs> Not as people that are different than us, and therefore we must oppose them. But we, we, must, we must learn to see people as before they come to know Jesus Christ, that they're sinners. And that Jesus Christ loves them. So we need to be able to see um, their need. Number two, how do, we, how do we show our love for Jesus Christ in our love for others? Number two as best we can, as often as we can, not only should we see their need, but we should be willing to meet their need. And that goes back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, as much as it is possible for us, we ought to feed the hungry. We should clothe the naked. Amen. We should uh, heal the sick. We should care for the hurting. We should recognize that this world is hurting and it's undone and it needs the healing touch of Jesus Christ. So as, as often as we can, to the best of our ability, we need to meet people's needs. Jesus did that. He met them at their place of need. And, and you've heard me preach about it before. Jesus would ask them, what, what is it that I can do for you? What is it that you want me to do uh, for you? Unfortunately, too many times the church, we as the church, we're asking the wrong questions, aren't we? We're, we're, we're saying, here's what you can do for me, instead of us saying, what can I do for you? How can, how can I meet the needs that you have in your life? The love of Jesus Christ ought to compel us 
to see people as they are, as helpless and harassed. To The love of Jesus ought to compel us to meet them at their need. And then number three, the love of Jesus Christ should compel us to share the truth of the gospel with them. Amen? Share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, with them. How many believes that it is an act of love to tell somebody the truth about God's word? Amen? I had somebody ask me a while back, um, it wasn't here, it was somebody else, they're, they're asking me, I know this, <clears throat> I know this uh, individual and they're in this lifestyle and I want to tell them about Jesus and so how, how do I do that? So we, we kind of had a dialogue for a little bit and, and here, was, here was the bottom line. The bottom line was they, they wanted to tell this person about Jesus Christ and kind of get around the lifestyle choices that they had made. Is there a way to tell them about Jesus, but not really, I don't want to deal with that issue. I want to talk about, I don't want to talk about that issue. And so I said, I said to them, I said, you know, I don't think that you have to lead in with that issue. <laughs> you don't have to say, you know, hey, here's what I think about this, and bloom, bloom, bloom. That turns people off. But as I said, the gospel, how many knows the gospel is the gospel for everybody? Amen. The gospel is the truth. It is the power of God unto salvation. And so we've talked about it already. I don't want to belabor this point this morning. The gospel is not meant to beat people up with. You don't hit them over the head with the Bible. But we, we recognize that this is good news. Amen? And so that we share the truth, the life-giving truth of the word of God with people. And we trust the Holy Spirit. So we tell people the truth. We share the gospel with them. We share it in a compassionate and a, and a, loving, uh, a loving manner because we want them to know the truth of what God's word says. The love of God compels us to see people the way that they are, that they're helpless, they're harassed by the enemy. And to meet their needs as best we are able to do. And three, to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And then number four, and this is so practical, it's so fundamental, I'm, I'm scared to even mention it to you this morning because you're going to say, well, of course we know that. But I feel like it needs to be said. And that is number four, we just, we show them kindness and love. Have we forgotten how to be kind and how to be gentle to folks in our world today? Did you know, I've referenced it already, 1 Corinthians says, talks about love. <clears throat> and in this description of love, it says love is patient. Love is kind. Amen? Amen. How many believes that Christians, that we ought to be patient and kind people. Amen. Christians ought to be the kindest people that anybody knows. Why? Because we have the love of Jesus Christ in our heart. Amen. In fact, if that's not enough, Paul, when he writes about the fruit of the Spirit, if we're, we're Spirit-filled Christians, and Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and it's also what? It also includes kindness and gentleness. There's nothing spiritual about beating people up. 
Uh, what spiritual? Spiritual is showing people the love of Jesus Christ, showing them kindness, and showing them and showing them love. And we as believers, we demonstrate, we demonstrate our love for Jesus Christ by showing our love for other individuals. And listen, we want to make a difference in our community. We want to make a difference in people's life. Just, just start by loving people. Amen. Say, Lord, I love you. And you've only given me one command. You said, love others the way that I have loved you. And so, God, I want to begin to show the love that I have for you. I want to begin by showing love to other people, seeing people the way that you see them, God, having compassion upon them, being sympathetic to them, because I know that they're, they're in bondage just like I was. They're in bondage, and they need salvation. I, wanna, I want you to use me to meet the needs of other people. God, as best I can, to the best of my ability, I want to begin to meet people's needs and show them the love of Jesus Christ. And then when you give me the opportunity, I'm going to share the truth with them. I'm going to share the gospel with them. I'm going to be a witness for Jesus Christ and tell them, hey, the gospel is good news. It's good news for what's wrong with modern man. And then I'm just going to show kindness and love to other people. Well, let me wrap this up. <clears throat> I want to look back now at, the, at Mark uh, chapter 12. I want you to, in fact, um, can you put that last verse back up on the screen if you would, Jared? One of the things stands out about this story to me, and it's verse number 34. So Jesus tells this scribe, he says, here's the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the scribe said, you're right. And so he goes on, he gives an answer to Jesus Christ. And then look at verse number 34. This just jumped out at me. And so it says, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, as when he saw it, when he heard the answer from the scribe, um, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And it says, and after that, nobody asked him any more questions. Jesus observed that this scribe was not far from the kingdom of God. Now, now what does that mean when Jesus said you're not far from the kingdom? It, <clears throat> initially, we, we want to think, we want to say, well, that means he's almost got it right. He almost uh, got, it, got it right. But how many knows that when we're talking about the kingdom of God, and, and we're talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then how many knows it doesn't matter if you miss by an inch or if you miss by a mile? How many knows, Paul says, we talked about this a couple Sundays ago, for we have all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So how many knows this morning, it doesn't matter if you miss by an inch, it doesn't matter if you miss by a mile, right? You've still missed the mark, and you're still a sinner, and you're still outside of salvation. So an inch <clears throat> might as well be a mile. What's the old saying? Uh, close only counts in what? Horseshoes and hand grenades, right? <laughs> How many knows close isn't good enough in the kingdom of God? Close is not good enough. So Jesus 
Jesus couldn't be telling him, you're almost there. Try a little. You've seen that commercial where they're dangling the dollar over the, the, the woman saying, oop, you almost got it. Oop, you almost. That, listen, that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not saying you're almost there. Try a little bit harder. Go, go just a little bit further. That can't be what Jesus is saying. Because if you miss by an inch, it might as well be a mile. Uh, because if you miss, you miss. And you don't make it. I think that there's a lesson here for us because when it comes to salvation, <clears throat> when it comes to salvation, God doesn't measure distance based on where we are in relation to him, but rather he measures it based on um, where Christ is in relation to us, where Christ is in relation to us. So I think that Jesus is saying to this guy, hey, <laughs> You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. Jesus is saying, here I am. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Because here is the kingdom of God. Because <clears throat> when it comes to salvation, God doesn't measure it based on how far we've come or where we're at. How many knows we can never we can never, we can never do enough to reach God on our own. It's impossible. <laughs> that's, it's impossible. That's why Jesus, that's why it was necessary for God to do what? Send Jesus to us. Because we'll never get close enough on our own. And since Jesus has come to us, <laughs> here's the good news. We can never be too far away from his grace and his ability to save us. So I think Jesus is saying to this man, you're not far from the kingdom of God because I'm standing right here. I'm standing right here. He's saying to this man, it's not, listen, it's not your wisdom. It's not your good works that has brought you into proximity, it is the steadfast love of God and his unfailing grace that I'm standing right here with you. Jesus is saying to him, you, you have not somehow made your way to God and now you're close to him. He is saying he has come to you and now he's standing right here in front of you. Doesn't that transform the way that you, you think about this passage and the way that you think about salvation? Because listen, such were some of us, amen? It doesn't, doesn't matter how good or how bad you were before Jesus Christ saved you. Didn't matter if you doesn't matter if you grew up in the church and you were saved when you were four years old. It doesn't matter if you ran from God all of your life and lived in sin. It doesn't matter how good or bad you were. It just doesn't matter how many knows we were all a million miles away from Jesus Christ. We were all a million miles away. And yet, 
because of his great love for us, he sent Jesus Christ to us. Amen. We sometimes forget that, don't we? That it's not us. We didn't come to him. We didn't move toward him. He came to us. He moved toward us. And when we forget that, you know what we do? We start to look down on other people. We start to look down on them. And we say, they're so far away from God. There's no hope. There's no help for them. But how many knows that we ought to say, what we ought to say was, I, I was them. I don't know if that's proper grammar or not. <laughs> I was him. I was her. <laughs> I was a million miles away from God. And yet, by grace, he saved me. And yet, he loved me. <laughs> and so he sent somebody to tell me the truth about what Christ had done. I was a million miles away from God, away from God. And listen, and when we understand that, when we remember that, how many knows that it ought to help us to love people better with the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that we should love others the way that he loved us, which means nobody is too far away. <laughs> Nobody is too far away. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what lifestyle they're in right now. It doesn't matter if they vote a certain way, look a certain way, do a certain thing. It doesn't matter because nobody is very far away from the kingdom of God because God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.